Well, good morning. I want to start our time with a story. It's a story we find in Luke chapter 17. Story of the ten lepers. And a leper was someone who was a man or a woman who was afflicted with just a terrible disease, an uncurable disease, a contagious disease. And they were often kind of thrown out of their family, out of their friend group, and ultimately out of their city. And they were put outside the city walls because no one wanted to touch, no one wanted to be around. And so the only people they could kind of huddle with were others who were suffering from the same fate. And so here we are outside the city of Jerusalem and we find 10 lepers huddled together. And Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem. And they cry out, Jesus, have mercy on us. And he stops. And he looks upon this group and his heart yearns for them to be better. And he acts. And he tells them, go to the priest, show yourself to the priest, and you will be healed. And they do, and they are. This group of ten, unwanted, unloved, and uncared for, found help in Jesus. And a couple of verses later, one comes back, falls on his face at the feet of Jesus, and says, thank you. And this confuses Jesus. Because he looks at this man and he wonders, and I have to think at this point, he's got to think he's going crazy because he's like, there were 10 of you, weren't there? I mean, you you see his words. He's like, didn't I heal more than just you? Why has no one else come back to give praise to God? And right there, Jesus calls out in all of us, just how hard it is to say thank you to him. This piqued my curiosity and I started to examine thankfulness in preparation for today. So I turn to the dictionary just to kind of get my grasp of the topic and I look up thankfulness and I get the feeling or expression of gratitude. I'm like, all right, not too helpful. So I'm like, I'm going to look up gratitude. And I look up gratitude and I get being grateful. Probably the least helpful definition I've ever come across in a dictionary. So I keep digging. Okay, I'm going to look up grateful. And grateful says that it is the return of of, of favor for, for kindness or a benefit received. There it is. That's what I was looking for. Thankfulness, gratitude, grateful. It's because I've gotten something. Someone has shown me kindness. Someone has given me a benefit. In this case, the lepers, right? They received the kindness of Jesus' attention and the benefit of being healed. And yet only one shows gratitude. And we learn a couple things from this story. One is that in this moment, Jesus kind of draws a parallel between saying thank you and giving praise to God. And the other thing we learn is that whether or not we have gratitude, we still receive the benefit. These lepers have been healed. Whether or not they expressed their gratitude. Back to Jesus. 
Listen, we don't have to be told to say thank you. This week alone, all over our social media, hashtag thankful, hashtag grateful, hashtag blessed. Everywhere we look, we see someone saying thank you for something. We are thankful for our family. We are thankful for our health. We were thankful for the food. We are thankful for what we bought on Black Friday and what we're going to buy tomorrow on Cyber Monday, whether it was a TV or a phone. And we just say, thank you. I am so thankful. We teach our children at a very young age, you say thank you when you receive something. So I do not need to stand here this morning with you and tell you to say thank you. But but maybe for you, maybe you can't say thank you right now. Maybe this is a hard holiday. Maybe your health is failing or someone you love's health is failing. Maybe you've lost a job or a loved one. Maybe today you wake up and you have no reason to give thanks. And this has been a hard week for you. You see, whether you think you have a lot to be thankful for or you struggle with giving thanks right now, both of us, both of them prevent us from giving thanks to God. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to reorient our thankfulness. And I want us to help, I want us to understand what Jesus means when he says saying thank you is giving praise to God. And to do that, I want to look through Psalm 100 with you this morning. But before, let's pray. Father God, we invite your spirit of truth into this time this morning, Lord, as we take a look at your word, that we would have the ears to hear the truth and that it would resonate in our hearts and move us to respond. To your name we pray. Amen. You can turn with me to Psalm 100, Bibles in your phones and the pews in front of you, the one you brought. As I read aloud, hear now the word of our Father. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. When I hear the first words of Psalm 100, shout for joy, I immediately go to football stadiums around the country or soccer stadiums around the world. Yesterday was rivalry weekend in college football. If you were an Ohio State fan, you were shouting for joy. If you were an Auburn fan, you were shouting for joy. I guess if you were a Northwestern fan, you were still shouting for joy, right? Because when we who love sports see our teams win, we shout for joy. And I get that image when I read shout for joy and I think, wow. Shout for joy to the Lord. And I keep going and I I see... Worship the Lord with gladness. And 
come before him with joyful song. And just last week, Pastor Mike helped us understand that singing is an expression of our gratitude back to God. And we see here, worship, worship the Lord. And worship is a lot more than just singing. In fact, some translations use the word serve the Lord with gladness. A response to God is to serve and to serve with gladness. And when I think of that, I think of what my parents used to tell me when they used to ask me to make my bed or fold my laundry or clean my room. And I would shrug my shoulders and roll my eyes and pout. And my mom would say, if you're not going to do it with a good attitude, don't do it at all. I would say, great, I won't do it. And that just never seemed to work. But yet my parents were instilling me this biblical truth that when we serve, we serve with gladness. And yet the only way we can serve with gladness is if we have gratitude for what's been done for us. And so Psalm 100, these first couple verses kind of set up what it looks like to give thanks to God. And I believe that as we work through these verses, there's a few things that we see. And one of the things we see are some warnings to us on what can prevent us from giving thanks to God. Remember, I'm not talking about saying thank you for the blessings you have or or, or for some, the the difficulty of giving thanks in this season. I'm, I'm specifically zeroing in on giving thanks to God. And I believe we see some warnings here that that hinder our ability of thankfulness. The first would be perspective hinders our thankfulness. Verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. The perspective we need is one of God, one of eternity, one of forever, as we'll see later on as well. Right? That, that, that we have really two perspectives that we can walk through life with. The, the temporal perspective where all that matters is right here, right now, this earth and what I can obtain. Or this eternal perspective that I will live forever. And, and the perspective we have directly impacts our ability to give thanks or to withhold thanks. Because when we have a perspective that we will live forever, then what God has done for us matters a whole lot more. A couple years ago, a man walked into the Highland Park campus, not to come to church, but to drop something off. And there was a class going on when he walked in, and it was a class about the Jewish history of Christianity. And he was intrigued, so he took a seat in the room, and he listened. And obviously he liked what he heard enough that he stayed for the whole service and he sat in the sanctuary and he heard the sermon. He came back the next week, sat through the class again, and sat through another sermon, pulled me into my office after that service and just wanted to kind of let me know who he is and why he's come back. He was a guy that lived in Highland Park almost his whole life. He was Jewish, had been living a life of, 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 of great wealth and had lost his job and most of his money on a risky investment and was sitting in my office, kind of a broken man, saying, life is hard. Things have not gone the way they were supposed to go. My marriage has gotten harder as a result. I need things to get better. I shared with him the good news of the gospel. 
I also introduced him to some others around the church and around the community. He started to get together with me. He got together with another local pastor, and he also started to get together with a Messianic rabbi through a Jewish Bible study in Highland Park. I hadn't seen him for a couple of weeks when I had heard that that Messianic rabbi had led to him to repent of his sins and give his life to Christ. And a couple of weeks after that, he came to one of our small group gatherings that we would host on a monthly basis. And I was, I was looking forward to seeing him and celebrating with him this newfound faith in Jesus that he had committed to and believed in. And I'm catching up with him in the kitchen and, and he's telling me things haven't gotten any better. And, and, and I say, well, listen, I mean, Putting your faith in Jesus doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to get better right now. Jesus does not promise this perfect, great life now, but he does promise that we will be in eternity with him and with God. And because our future is secure, it, it makes our day better. And his response was, well, I need things to get better now. I have not seen him since. I know he's kind of met with some others, but continues to search for some temporary satisfaction because his perspective of eternity was not stronger than his perception of right now. Don't let your perspective hinder giving thanks to God. I think the second one we see there when it says, it is he who made us and we are his is that pride can hinder our thankfulness. Right, because when we are prideful, some different things happen. One thing is that we just think we deserve what we get. Right, when pride kind of creeps in and you know the feeling and I know the feeling that when pride kind of overtakes, well, I deserve that. I, I, I am a good person. I am a better person than you, so I deserve what I get. Or even more than that, we think we've earned it ourselves. We think we've done the work. One of the, one of the things that, that shows up in that story of Jesus and the lepers in Luke chapter 17 is that Jesus points out that the one that came back was a Samaritan. Remember, this is outside of Jerusalem, so I think it's safe to assume that the other nine were probably Jewish. And for the Jewish people, when Jesus showed up, pride was a big problem. It prevented them from seeing Jesus as their Messiah. The religious leaders of the time were, were so prideful in who they were and what they knew that they missed Jesus as the Messiah to the point where they put him on the cross. Pride is such a dangerous thing. And when we think we deserve something or we think we've earned something, why give thanks? And the call from Jesus is to humble ourselves. The only way that we can truly believe in Jesus and Savior is if we first repent of our own struggles. Jonathan Edwards, a pastor in, a couple hundred years ago in New England, when he was young and, and, and newly saved, he wrote kind of what, what, what was, still gets read a lot today, these resolutions. These, 
this is what I'm going to do now that I'm saved to be a better Christian. And, and those resolutions have, have kind of spread like wildfire. And even I was one who would pick them up and read those resolutions and say, yes, I want to do that. And I want to do that. And I want to do that. And I want to do that. Just like this whole series we've been going through the way forward. Yes, I want to sing. And yes, I want to, I want to have courage. And yes, I want to read the Bible. And I want to meditate. And near the end of Jonathan Edwards' life, he reflected on his resolutions. And he said, I was a fool to think I could do this myself. It is God who does it in me. And so don't let pride hinder your thankfulness. Verse 3 ends with, We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That sheep-shepherd analogy shows up a lot in the Bible. And I think something we realize about sheep is that they rely on their shepherd, that their shepherd gives sheep all that they need. And I think the third thing that hinders us from thankfulness is our affluence, our wealth, our riches. And if I have not come into your neighborhood yet, I am coming now. On a global scale, you, I, we are as wealthy as they come. On a historical scale, you and I are as wealthy as they come. If we just zero in on Lake County, we are some of the wealthiest in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And you, may, and you may sit there and think, well, I'm not as wealthy as that guy. Oh, that's okay. And things happen with affluence. And the Bible talks a lot about it. And I think we have to pay attention, particularly you and I in this day, have to pay attention to what Jesus has to say, what the Bible has to say about those who are wealthy. See, Jesus in Matthew 19 has that interaction with the rich young man, right? And this rich young man wants to follow Jesus, wants to go with him. Jesus kind of says, hey, just just believe and and come with me. It's great, I'm in. And Jesus says, great, now leave everything you have behind and follow me. And you just get this like dropped head in this guy that's like, I can't do that. I have too much to walk away from. To, to give everything up and walk away. And he just slumps his head, turns around, and walks away from Jesus. It's heartbreaking. He turns his back on Jesus because he couldn't turn his back on his wealth. And so Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, It is harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a You don't have to get the analogy to get the point. Friends, it is not easy for us or our neighbors to follow Jesus because of our wealth. You see, one of the things that that, that affluence does that robs us of our thankfulness is it robs us of our contentment. You know, it was interesting when, when, when Paul talked about contentment in the New Testament, he said, hey, I'm good with food and clothes. If that's all I have, I'm content and I've got God. 
In the New York Times on Wednesday, an article about gratitude and happiness, they kind of expanded upon food and clothes. And they said, for contentment in today's society in America, we need food, we need shelter, we need health care, we need education. Because as we have gotten wealthier, we have needed more to be content. Because when you have a lot, you want a lot. And when you want a lot, you convince yourself you need a lot. See, I, went to, I was on the airplane a couple weeks ago and I forgot my headphones. And I was in Chicago on my way to the subway to get to the airport and I thought, I need headphones. And I stopped in a store and I bought headphones because in that moment I convinced myself that headphones were a need. And I've got the wealth to buy the headphones and as a result, I wasn't content without them. We just look at our children, right? My daughter's two and a half years old. I was a rookie parent. I took my daughter to the toy aisle in Target. I now know you avoid the toy aisle at all costs because I need Play-Doh. I need Legos. I need Dora. I need, I need, I need. Wealth robs us of our contentment and robs us of our thanksgiving. But it's worse than that. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, when he's kind of giving him coaching on how to be a good pastor and how to lead people, gives different advice on how to lead different people. And he gets to the wealthy. And he says, Timothy, when you are teaching the wealthy, when you are teaching the rich, please teach them not to rely on their riches, but to rely on God. Because when we have riches, we don't think we need God. Right? As the saying goes, you can't buy happiness, but you can get pretty close. And so we do. And we're good. And we're happy. And we're blessed. And we're thankful. And we're grateful. Until we start to realize that it will all pass away. And that riches don't get us to God. I mean, that was Paul's point to Timothy. Friends, this is a very relevant message for you and I. We have to hear just how hard it is for us to give thanks to God because of how much we have obtained on this earth. And Paul actually gives Timothy some radical advice in chapter 6, verse 18, when he says, hey, tell them not to count on their riches. Tell Tell them to rely on God. He says, tell them to be rich in good deeds. Tell them to be a generous people. Tell them to give it away. I've shared here before that I've, I've struggled with gambling and, and, and the addiction was its strongest at the end of college and out of college and I put myself into a lot of debt and I gave away a lot of money to gambling. And because I gave a lot of money to gambling, I did not have a lot of money to, to spend on anything else. Couldn't afford to travel anywhere. Couldn't afford a new, a new car. Couldn't, couldn't afford, I couldn't even afford to rent an apartment at the time. I had I, given my money away to gambling. And by the grace of God, have been freed from that burden. And not that the struggle is completely gone, but that the addiction no longer has a hold on me. And that I look to God for that strength 
but it has impacted my giving. To Kelly and I, when we talk about giving, we say we want it to hurt a little bit. We want it to be sacrificial. We want to not have something because we give it away to someone else or to the church or to an organization. So we will not buy something tomorrow on Cyber Monday because we will give it away on Tuesday. And the lesson I learned was, listen, if, if I can lose my money to gambling, I can sure lose my money to giving it away, to be a generous people. Generosity is one of those practical ways to respond to a lack of contentment. And so we see in Psalm 100 that our perspective hinders our thankfulness. Our pride hinders our thankfulness. Our affluence hinders our thankfulness to God. But it begs the question that must be answered. What am I giving to God thanks for? And so as we continue on in Psalm 100, verse 4, we get another command to give thanks. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Three things from verse 5 I want you to see. For the Lord is good. The first thing we give thanks for, we give thanks for who God is. The Lord is good. He is eternal. He is our creator. He is our maker. He is our sustainer of life. When you read through the Bible, you find description upon description of God because not one description can capture who God is. He is our father. He is our rock. He is our savior. He is our king. He is our shepherd. He is our potter. He is our branch, vine, or the branch. He is the giver and sustainer of life. The beginning and the end, the alpha and omega. There is no one greater, and there was no one I would rather be with. He is my father, and I simply give thanks for who he is. And that changes my perspective. The more I know God, the more my perspective shifts from the things of this world to him. I stop worshiping created things and I start worshiping the creator. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. We give thanks for who God is and we give thanks for what God has done. He has shown us his love. Romans 5.8 says that we know his love because while we were still sinners, while we were separated from God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us that we may be right again and discover life with God like we were always created to be. There is no greater love than this, that a friend lay down his life as Jesus laid down his life for us. And this love endures forever. His faithfulness goes on to all generations. We give thanks for who God is and what he's done. And what has he done? It's the gospel. 
It is that you can't discover life with God without Jesus. You can't earn it. You can't buy your way in. You can't, you don't deserve it. And yet he loves you. More than you can imagine. Even when you don't love yourself. And his love is not seen in what we necessarily give thanks for each and every day. Listen, I believe that the things that I give thanks for, I, love, I give thanks for my family. I give thanks that I have good health right now. I give thanks for my job. But if I stopped at that, if and when those pass away, what will I have to give thanks for? And maybe that's where you find yourself today. We give thanks because of what God has done for us. And that overcomes my pride when I realize that I don't deserve God and I can't earn my way to God, and yet he loved me so much that he made a way for me through the death of his son. Yeah, I'll humble myself. There's a God. And I am not him. And then the last thing we see in Psalm 100 is just that word forever. We give thanks forever. We will give thanks forever. When we see glimpses of what heaven will be like, this place that Jesus is preparing for you and I right now, it will be us in one chorus Every tribe and every nation honoring God and giving thanks to God. We call God Father because he adopted us as children. And he says that not only does he adopt us as children, but he makes us heirs with Christ. The one who was lifted to God's right hand, who was given everything. And God says, I will give it to you too. I will make you an heir with Christ. You have an inheritance that will not perish. And when I... Focus on forever, it overcomes my affluence. When I realize that the treasures of this earth do not compare to the treasures of heaven, it's a whole lot easier to give it away. And so I give thanks to God for who he is, what he's done, and I will give thanks forever. You see... I am the leper. I was outside the city gates. I couldn't heal myself. I knew I wanted to be with God, but I couldn't get there. And I cried out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he did. And he is. On me, And on you. And for that reason, and that reason alone, I will give thanks. And when I find joy in my salvation, then I can be thankful for all situations. 
And so my hope for you today, the one thing I want you walking out here with today is simply this. You are the leper. Have you cried out for mercy? Because if you have, you've gotten it. He has been merciful on you. He has saved you. Will you now give thanks? Will Jesus look over us and say, where is everybody? Didn't I heal you? Let's give our praise to God. Let's say thank you to God. Let's pray. Father God, and that's what we do. We come as one voice, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we can rise up together, brothers and sisters adopted by you, and shout for joy and worship you and sing together out of extreme gratitude for who you are and what you've done. Regardless of what we say thank you for on this earth, Lord, we thank you for forever that you have saved us from our sin. And God, may our gratitude be seen by those around us so that your name would be great, that you would be glorified in this church, in this city, in this country. In your name we pray. Amen.